Hi, I'm Rachel Lee. Um, I'm a Korean American and I'm a licensed psychotherapist. And I'm Brooke, I'm her daughter. So today we're going to talk a little bit about um, the stigma around mental health and especially in the Asian American community and I thought it'd be really interesting to hear what that your thoughts are on for that um, coming in com coming from an industry of uh, mental health. I don't well, um, I realized when I was 13 years old this was the field uh, that I wanted to enter in. And partly because I grew up in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and there were not very many Asians there. So I was at a library and was looking at some career pamphlets and noticed this pamphlet specifically was talking about counseling. And so I read up on it and noticed that there wasn't anyone um, in this field uh, that uh, was Asian. And that's what I've pursued since I was 13. And, and uh, so since then, the landscape has changed quite a bit. Uh, there are more uh, psychotherapists um, in, in the, um, in licensed psychotherapists uh, in the counseling uh, field that are Asian American. Why do you think you were drawn to this profession at 13 years old? Which it's so young, how, why do you think made you feel so clear about wanting to go down this path? I think I was always a feeler. Uh, there was a lot of uh, things and questions that I had. Partly it was uh, because I grew up in an area that was um, very um, monoculture. Um, I, I guess that's the best way to put it. And I was uh, the, felt like the only Asian around. And um, being a feeler, I had a lot of questions about so many things that I wanted to bounce my ideas off and my questions about my internal state, um, about family of origin uh, situations, uh, but didn't have anyone that I could talk to. And so because of that, I, I think uh, because of who I am, I was drawn to, to that field. And so you d felt like you didn't have anyone around really to talk to growing up, not only because you felt isolated culturally mm -hmm. um, growing up uh, as a minority in, in the South, but uh, within your family too, grandma and grandpa I know were, um, you guys immigrated mm -hmm. from Korea, right. and so they were working really hard, and that's mm -hmm. part of the reason mm -hmm. you, know, you were alone a lot of the time, but mm -hmm. um, how do you think that affected you growing up? Well, it was um, a situation where um, I, I knew my parents loved me. I knew that they worked very hard. And having that knowledge and being a sensitive uh, kid, I didn't feel that I could burden them. I didn't feel, first of all, there wasn't a platform in which uh, that I could go freely to talk to them. But not just that, I realized how tired they were. And so for me to approach them with any uh, situations that um, I was going through, I didn't feel that I could do that. So um, that was a limitation in my family life. Do you think that the immigrant mentality or the immigrant outlook on life um, is very different from the millennial generation and how we're being raised to um, talk, uh, being more encouraged on through media, through all these different platforms to talk more about how we feel, how we see the world. Do you, what are your thoughts on the mm -hmm. contrast between that and more of the immigrant mentality? 
Well, I can only uh, talk about my own situation as an immigrant. And um, I do know that there is a difference between thriving and surviving. And uh, for an immigrant family and for even for myself, I felt there was a lot of surviving, just surviving, surviving to, to make ends meet, surviving um, the language barrier, surviving all the different challenges uh, that an immigrant faces. And the millennials, fortunately, you know, when I look at you and your sister, um, I would say because of that survival mentality that I was able to take a big step forward, your father and I, and we came to the place where we didn't want our children just to survive, but to thrive. And in order to do that, we wanted you to have the freedom to come to us, uh, to talk with us, and to um, be able to share anything that you were struggling with. Um, and uh, that's, that's the approach. So in my own situation and in our own family situation, uh, that's the main difference that I see from an immigrant standpoint to to the next generation. Why do you think that sharing, sharing mm -hmm. your feelings, um, expressing your emotions and your struggles, mm -hmm. um, why do you think there is such a stigma around that mm -hmm. in the Asian American community, in society in general, but particularly when it comes to mm -hmm. um, being Asian, why mm -hmm. is there such a struggle in being able to share or mm -hmm. such a stigma around that? Um, I think from the perspective of Asian American, uh, there is a lot of uh, shame that comes with uh, problems or expressing these problems um, and it evidences weakness. Mm. And when you do have a weakness, you don't want to be upfront about it and you uh, cover it with this feeling of shame. And when you're under that realm of shame, you're not easily able to talk about those things. And it, it it's Basically, you're trapped with that that uh, shame or that embarrassment of it. And so for the face value of most Asians, I, I've noticed that uh, they don't want to reveal what is considered a weakness, right? Was there ever a point um, that you realized that the shame you felt trapped mm -hmm. by wasn't a necessary burden? Mm -hmm. Well, I think with uh, education, um, I, I, at college, um, that's where I first initiated this, um, I believe, beginning of my self-understanding. Uh, and by self-understanding, understanding my implicit memories, being able to express myself and identify um, more about what my upbringing was like, to make those dot-to-dot -dot connections in my life so that I lived life less reactionary. And it was really through uh, my own um, experience in college when I la was launched from my family of origin that I was able to understand how important it was to begin talking and expressing myself. And, and, and in college was when I first started uh, this journey of um, not just my own journey of, of expressing my feelings and uh, sharing my problems, but also being an advocate for other Asian Americans to express themselves as well. And what does advocating for that look like to you? Advocating looks different for people to people. For me, um, I'm very open about what I do. 
Uh, and you don't have to be a, a therapist to be able to be an advocate. Uh, you can actually be the recipient of it too. So I actually endorse and subscribe to you know therapy. I'm not just one to provide it, but I also seek therapy as well. So it can come in different forms, but um, I would speak at local churches. I would um, initiate you know, my services in a parent education at churches. And any chance I got, um, I would um, be able to be open about what I did, how I did it, and why I did it. And what does mental health mean to you? Mental health is, to me, um, the example that I always give, gave to you growing up was that if you had a broken leg, what would you do? Do you remember what I would say? If you had a broken leg, You'd where go would you go? You'd go to the doctor. You would go to a doctor. And why would you go to the doctor? Because your leg is broken. But you could just pretend it didn't wasn't broken. It wouldn't heal properly. Yeah. And so that's what I say mental health is, is that if you feel like there are some red flags, like relational challenges, interpersonal conflicts, that if you feel that at school um, there are, you know, there are more conflicts than... I guess other people are experiencing, you know, that if you are having, you know, problems sleeping because there are thoughts, if you're having thoughts that overwhelm you, um, if you are having family issues, all those things surface as not mental health problems, but it help, uh, it surfaces as symptoms uh, that you just want to make sure that you're seeking the help just like you would a broken leg. So you're saying to look for the signs in your life mm -hmm. and seek help for that yes okay. i feel that the word mental health has such a stigma to it that it's associated once again with a problem mental with health, an issue mental illness mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just like physical health physical well-being mental well-being i associate those words interchangeably that it's not with stigma but it's also something that we want to focus on so that we engender a positive outlook of what mental health is, just like we would with physical well-being or yeah. physical health. And I think there is such a celebration of uh, physical exercise mm -hmm. on social media, whether it's sharing your passion for yoga or mm -hmm. cycling and all these different types of classes or sports mm -hmm. or activities that people do. Mm -hmm. um, yet it doesn't seem that we are able to, as a society, celebrate mental health mm -hmm. in such an open way or in as mm -hmm. equally of a positive way. Sure. And what do you think, um, what do you think, I don't know, I don't know what to say now. What do you think uh, could change that? What could change our outlook of mental health? No, Is that what you're talking about? or I don't know anymore. Like. I don't know where I'm going anymore. Why don't you ask me what, what therapy looks like? Uh, oh, okay, for yeah. Okay. Or I think feel like we can talk more about you. We'll go back. Okay. Okay. So what is um, therapy for you as a therapist? What does that look like? Well, most people come, uh, bec most of my referrals come because of uh, relational issues interpersonal conflicts. So um, whether it's marriage or family or um, outside uh, partnership or friendship, uh, that's mostly why they come to find some relief of relational challenges. And so therapy looks very different from person to person, 
but it doesn't have to be because there's a major crisis or a mental health breakdown. Um, it comes in because they want to get to know uh, themselves better. A lot of my clients come and say they do not want to look past in their life. You know, I just want to look uh, for the future. And in, and in the field of psychoanalysis where we're still continuing to grow uh, from, from Freudian you know, therapy, the growth of it is to understand our past a bit and again, make those connections so that we are allowed to see the implicit memories come to life for us so that we again live life less reactionary. So if we are aware of our triggers, we're able to better identify what's happening within ourselves so that we don't react to the circumstances of life. Uh, so why does it evidence in relationships? It's because certain things are said. We're communicative people and th certain things are said, certain actions are shown and behaviors and that triggers us and we react in a way that we don't understand why. And most of those reactions are sometimes not positive so then there, there um, is a conflict. Uh, so therapy looks uh, different from person to person. It looks different in times of length and the experiences and the focus. Do you think you necessarily need to have a problem to come into therapy? Well, again, you're speaking to someone who subscribes and endorses uh, therapy. And it's one of those things that just like elementary school, you know, high school and on is uh, recommended. I highly recommend that everyone uh, get to know themselves so that they become aware of uh, themselves more so that they look, can live life with more uh, freedom. Okay. Um, with anxiety, depression, um, hyperattention deficit disorders, mm -hmm. um, eating disorders, body image, physical, mm -hmm. confidence issues, mm -hmm. do you think that um, these things are seen as weaknesses, mm -hmm. and if so, um, how can we reimagine re these things differently as a society? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it becomes a disorder when we ignore them. Um, it's when we make an understandable, you know, recognition of what those what those symptoms are, to be able to treat them, but left unnoticed or ignored, I think that's when it becomes a disorder. And so as soon as you have that problem, this is the word I use, you know, the phrase I always say, you, if you can't define it, you can't diffuse it, right? If you can't define what that problem is. And that's self-attunement. And that's something that, you know, I've always talked to you and your sister about, to be self-attuned, to be able to know all of your, you know, uh, physical as well as mental symptoms so that you know how to self-regulate yourself when you come to us when you were younger about, you know, like if you had a stomach ache, what are the questions that I would ask you? Where does it hurt? Why, did, why do you think it hurts? Mm -hmm. And I asked for specific symptoms so that we could what, pinpoint? We can identify yeah. what the problem is. Yeah. And I was really, it was very important for me to have my children be able to be a good diagnostician, whether it's physical as well as mental. I have a question for you. How did all that upbringing of, from, from a mom who was a therapist, how did that help you when you went off to college and you were launched this uh, past year? College was hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard to go away as a first year. Mm -hmm. um, 
grew up my whole life in California. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm very lucky because I have a very good relationship with my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're so close. Mm-hmm. And so I was leaving my support system. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to a place where straight across the country from California and Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, never experienced the winter before. Mm. And so how, of course, how did I know I was going to react? Mm-hmm. How could I ever expect or anticipate uh, the things I went through in the winter? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we even with you, you, mm-hmm. you thought I was fine up until I came home for winter break mm-hmm. because I genuinely did not know I was having a hard time mm-hmm. until I was home. Mm-hmm. I genuinely did not know I was having a difficult time being far from home, going through winter until mm-hmm. I was home in California and started to feel normal again mm-hmm. and had it, I couldn't even recognize that I was feeling abnormal. Mm-hmm. And this is, again, someone who was raised um, to be so self-attuned. Mm-hmm. So I felt my whole life like I had a great footing on mm-hmm. um, how I was doing, where I'm at emotionally, physically, um, and therefore able to respond to those needs mm-hmm. and um, take care of myself. And then I went away and I was very affected by the weather Mm -hmm. um the winter I came home found out I was extremely vitamin d deficient Mm -hmm. and realized like I had experienced seasonal depression Mm -hmm. and I know people talk about it Mm -hmm. coming from the west coast they go oh did you go through Mm -hmm. seasonal depression yeah I didn't know even going through it even though it is talked about Mm -hmm. what it was because it is different for everyone Mm -hmm. I had a certain idea of what depression was in my head. Mm-hmm. I thought depression was just being really um, unspeakably sad or, mm-hmm. or not being able to get out of bed. But I didn't really understand what that phrase meant, mm-hmm. being able to get out of bed. But I now, having experienced it, understand mm-hmm. that it's feeling so low that there's an inability to have will yourself to function. There's a paralysis. It's a paralysis. There's this... Mm-hmm kind of emotional paralysis where even in your mind mm-hmm. you want to feel you want to will mm-hmm. it's not like those things turn off completely mm-hmm. or at least for me that's how it was it wasn't that I wanted mm-hmm. to stop fulfilling my responsibilities it wasn't that I wanted to stop mm-hmm. being active mm-hmm. or I wanted to stop being happy mm-hmm. I looked at those things and felt such a disconnect between I want to go to class on time mm-hmm. I want to get out of bed and exercise I want to walk around, I want to enjoy what's going mm-hmm. on. I want to make sure I eat a meal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could not make myself do it. Mm-hmm. And I've mm-hmm. never before had that kind of disconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, and so going back to the second semester, I think being a little bit more connected and more aware of what had happened looking in mm-hmm. hindsight, I was able to use a lot more of the things I was given grow- growing up the from you. Mechanisms. The different mechanisms. Mm-hmm. I there's a reason mm-hmm. why my sleep pattern is getting disturbed. Right. There's a reason why I forgot to eat a meal. It's mm-hmm. not, oh, I just forgot to mm-hmm. eat a meal today. Mm-hmm. It's my mind isn't all there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not being completely present. And mm-hmm. so what is on my mind? What is distracting mm-hmm. me? And what is making me feel this mm-hmm. way? Um, so I learned to look for signs when my life pattern was disturbed, then there was significance right. to it. And right. I was able to identify those things able to understand more and be more in touch with my body Mm -hmm. and focus on that um yeah but I think coming from um Mm -hmm. a really great high school experience 
and having enjoyed high school and Mm -hmm. done really well Mm -hmm. um, to have walked away from high school and been proud of how I did um, Mm -hmm. and have the support of a family who never really pressured me to do that, which I know is not the typical story for a lot of Asian Americans Mm -hmm. um, where there is a lot of pressure to perform well. I was very lucky that you and dad were very supportive of me pursuing my own interests Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and just pursuing my own happiness. But coming out of that and going into a new school where I felt all of a sudden like I was failing at everything, Mm -hmm. that was really difficult. And I felt, I did feel a lot of Mm. shame in that. Mm. That And what did you want to do with that shame? I didn't want to talk about it. Mm. And I think that has a lot to say about society Mm -hmm. and even though you grew up really being encouraged to talk about anything and everything and all the challenges but yet you went away and when you started recognizing those things and those elements you felt shame and then what did you do want to do you wanted to conceal it and I took the I took that shame Mm -hmm. and I took it so personally Mm -hmm. I took it to be something's wrong with me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there must be something wrong with me Mm -hmm. that I'm like this Mm -hmm. but I I have to remind, it's not like there's a sudden epiphany that, oh, this shame isn't necessarily my burden to bear. This shame is something that has been perpetuated Mm -hmm. by a lot of different um, societal norms and stigmas. Mm -hmm. Uh, It wasn't a sudden epiphany where I realized that and then could live that out and be free of that. It's every day I still have to remind myself when I feel that shame Mm -hmm. over something that it's not mm-hmm. a necessary shame mm-hmm. that yes there are difficult things i'm going through but that doesn't mean something's wrong with me right not, there's nothing right. fundamentally wrong with right. me compared to the rest of mm-hmm. everybody else mm-hmm. um that makes me a failure that makes me weaker mm-hmm. and coming to accept that and realize that is it's something i have to remind myself mm-hmm. of continually it's not it's not a magical solution where mm-hmm. you have that realization and it just mm-hmm. is the solution. Um, mm-hmm. It is something that you have to, you have to continually do, mm-hmm. and I think I think that I'm probably I'm not the only one, even though it can feel that way. Right. I think a lot of times your shame makes you feel isolated. very isolated. Very isolated. It makes you feel like something is specifically wrong with mm-hmm. you when that's not the truth. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with you per se perhaps there are things that make you feel like something is off and you need to go seek Mm -hmm. help you need to Mm -hmm. figure out what works for you but that doesn't mean something is fundamentally broken with Mm -hmm. you right right and um when you were going through those um the trials that you were the first thing that we found to be something we wanted to emphasize was your mental health and that it did not matter about your performance or anything, but we wanted you to be well. And I hope that came across, that that was ultimately, we did not define you by the performances uh, the, or lack thereof in, in college, but we wanted you to be loved and that you were not alone. You guys, I definitely didn't feel like you guys emphasized performance, but I still felt the pressure mm-hmm. of performance from myself mm-hmm. um, and from, I think, what I thought sis- like other people expected of me. Mm-hmm. Even though mental health should be my priority, mm-hmm. 
I felt like if I'm not performing well, mm-hmm. if I'm not being the best in every class, if I'm not the top of my class, if I'm mm-hmm. not in every, the head of every extracurricular, um, that, like, I was in high school, mm-hmm. um, like, a good student in high school, that something was wrong, like, mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that I suddenly wasn't able to perform the way I had been my whole life mm-hmm. academically, mm-hmm. and so I, I attributed that to the fact that my mental health wasn't great in mm-hmm. college. And then it made me feel like, well, mental health is making me this way, mm-hmm. which I think is the train of thought that is kind of perpetuated, is that if you are struggling, yes, of course, like if your mental health isn't great, it, it, is, it isn't stable, you're going to have that show up in other areas of your life. Um, mm-hmm. But then I blamed it solely on that, instead of then trying to help and focus mm-hmm. on like nurturing my mental mental health, I blamed it and was mm-hmm. m- upset at it and mm-hmm. shunned it the way that I think a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't solve anything. Right. right. Instead of focusing on uh, the reasons of why uh, that mental health became an issue, um, I think what you did was you shunned it and you were upset at it. Um, there were things that, you know, perpetuated that your drive, you know, uh, the focus point of performance at all cost, all those elements fed that that monster, which was, um, in in your in your case, the anxiety, the depression that surfaced as a result of that, and I think that's a society at at best. And you asked me earlier about the millennials, and oftentimes I feel that millennials have so much of this capacity um, in terms of their growth, but they sometimes hyper-focus on certain areas. And with any kind of hyper-focus, they forget to balance. And it's an important, uh, important you know, uh, topic of balance. Mm-hmm. What does balance look like? Um, now for the first time, learning how to ha- have to find that balance my- within myself, mm-hmm. not just relying on other people and my uh, external support system to balance me, it's about having to search in myself to find my own internal balance Mm -hmm. um and that's it's not an easy process this is these are growing pains it's Mm -hmm. painful because there is growth coming out of it Mm -hmm. but it hurts Mm -hmm. it's not it's not fun Mm -hmm. all the time um and it's hard to remember that it is worth something uh it is significant and i also think that one of the reasons I couldn't identify something was wrong, something um, was going on with me until I came home was that it all of a sudden the things I had dealt with throughout my life looked different because I was in a different place. Mm -hmm. I went off to college. I'm over on the East Coast having grown up on the West Coast my whole life and all of a sudden um, anxiety isn't the same as it was in high school. Mm -hmm. Anxiety as a high schooler was panic attacks, it was staying up because I couldn't stop my brain from racing at night. Mm-hmm. It was stressing out over tests, over homework, um, and feeling anxious like I couldn't do well enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a lot more of, it was a lot more panicky. And then all of a sudden anxi- anxiety in college, um, I didn't, I wasn't mentally aware of its presence all day. It was always sitting at the back of my brain, but I didn't constantly hear the voice of my anxiety like I did in high school, so I thought it was gone. 
there was more of a disassociation with it. Yes, it was a lot more of a numbing mm-hmm. in college. Like mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't, I couldn't deal with it the mm-hmm. same way I, I didn't want to deal with it the way I did in high school, which was to feel it as stress, mm-hmm. as constant stress to do well in school. Um, and so instead, I went to a place kind of of limbo of just mm-hmm. a neutral numbing um, and had no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, I know people say all the time that college is the time where you kind of find your own internal balance, you kind of find yourself a lot more. Um, how was it for you during that time of your life? Are you asking me yeah, something? That's what are you what I just me? A- You just said, mm-hmm. I don't know what you, I, I just, thought you were finishing I just your asked thought. you how that time, this time for me was for you. Oh, for me as a mom to go through that? Or as a no, therapist. as a mom, as how was this time in your life for you in college? Mm. For, for me, yes, in college, time of my life was what how it was in college oh, for mind. me. <laughs> really? Yeah. But I think it's, I think you enjoyed your college experience because you didn't necessarily enjoy gr- your childhood yeah, as much childhood as I did. Was, yeah, the liberation of college for me was I what I enjoyed. Really? Yeah. So let's transition. What what should we talk about? What should we talk about? Keep going. We should wrap up. Oh, we should wrap yeah. up. You're done? Okay. Because um, this is... Okay. Okay, so is there anything you would like to say to people? Like, I just... That's what I told people. I'm going to ask everyone. Is there anything you would like to encourage people in? Or mm. I would highly encourage uh, people to see... Um, what mental health truly means and how to achieve that. Um, We focus a lot on exercising and eating right. And that also helps, you know, our, you know, mental acuity, but to search for uh, a life of understanding oneself, understanding uh, some of those things that have taken place in one's life and and why we react and to be able to understand those implicit memories, those memories uh, that are stored in those areas of feelings um, in the right side of the brain and to be able to articulate and put into words in a safe place so that life can be more freeing, life can be uh, more liberating and to live life uh, with more clarity and I would want that for everyone. I would say that even when you feel like there is no one you can talk to, um, a lot of times that's something else that's telling you that, and it's never true. There's Mm -hmm. always someone, Mm -hmm. always someone Mm -hmm. you can talk to, even when you feel completely isolated, completely alone, Um, and that... And I need to practice what I preach because I'm trying to learn this still myself. But mm-hmm. t- to be gentle with yourself. To um, be kind to yourself. To have compassion mm-hmm. for yourself. Because mm-hmm. I know a lot of times there can be a lot of self-hatred, a lot of self-criticism mm-hmm. if you're struggling with something. And to find that compassion for mm-hmm. yourself, mm-hmm. I think, is part of your life's journey. Right. Right. Definitely. It is a healing process to learn and institute a kindness to oneself yeah, and empathy. 
Yeah, and that looks different for, uh, I think, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I'm still trying to figure out what it is for me. It used to be writing and journaling, and mm-hmm. I think then in college I found pottery, which has <laughs> been fun. But, I mean, I think it's going to, mm-hmm. again, just like my struggles or, mm-hmm. and your struggles are going to change at different times in your life. Mm-hmm. I think finding new ways to meet those and um, find a different balance, is it's going to keep changing. And it's mm-hmm. a balancing act, and um, hopefully I'll figure it out. Oh, I know you will. So it was nice talking with you. Nice to meet you, Mother.